Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. Human resilience, super inconvenient for the reality TV agenda. <laughs> like you, wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how hard it is to get people to break down in the name of entertainment. <laughs> Come on, people. We're trying to sell soda pop here. Right? <laughs> Suffer. Yeah. Could you, could you just a little shaking and crying? I just want a little snot. That's all I want. So this episode is Jody's fault. <laughs> no hello. No how's it going? Hey Duncan, what's going on? No, no, no. It's Jody fucked up. Yeah, I'm just headed straight to the excuses. Okay. I'm not a chivalrous man. I will no. throw my fiance under the bus. <laughs> the first opportunity. <laughs> the episode today is uh, the history of and secrets behind reality TV. Oh God. Yeah. No. <laughs> What did I do wrong? If you just tell me what I do wrong, I will make it better. So as you like to say, oh, what happened was, <laughs> uh, remember I swore that I would never do a Kardashians episode. Yes. Wendigo immediately suggested the of Kardashians. Wendigo did. I mean, and and you know I think it was a joke, and I wasn't uh, taking it very seriously. And then we did have a little conversation about like, well, you know, reality TV would be interesting. Like, I am interested in the phenomenon of reality TV, not okay. pr- particularly the Kardashians. Right. In fact, we're going to kind of avoid them for the most part. But the phenomenon of reality TV, the psychology behind it, that is fascinating to me. So it did end up on the topic list. Hmm. And then it was a battle between two subjects. Two subjects were very popular at the same time. I went to lock down the vote. And uh, they were tied. Mm. And I didn't want to be the one to make the... I didn't want to put my thumb on the scales this time. Right. So I asked Jody to go in and break the tie. Mm-hmm. And so we're doing uh, reality TV. Yeah. <sighs> All right. The other one was the history of mascots, which I think would have been kind of interesting. Hmm. But uh, I'm stoked on this one. Yeah. I, I, I mean, if it's between this and mascots, sure, I'll take this one. <laughs> okay. Because mascots is like, I don't... Fucking wait. There's actually a lot there. It's really, okay. Yeah. Mascots would have been. See, that's something you didn't know much about. As opposed to reality TV, which I'm sure you're a huge fan. You kept up with the Kardashians, I assume. Makes my trigger finger itch, I'm being honest. Do you watch any reality TV? Is no, there any? None no. ever. Not even like The Voice or like American Idol. Have you watched competition reality I've, TV? Shows? I've watched. I actually, now that I'm thinking about it, my wife during the pandemic did get me into for a very short amount of time. What was that? Uh, it's not America's Next Top Model. It's the it's the designers. Project Runway. Project Runway. Yeah, she did get me into like the first whatever eight seasons or seven seasons of that. Like, <laughs> you only started... watched it, just a few eight seasons. Well, no, because we we had literally nothing else to do. I was unemployed. Sure. She was working during the day, and it's all she would watch. Yeah. And so if I wanted to spend time with my wife and we didn't have anything else we were watching, I was like, okay, I guess I'm watching this. You know, there, it's easy to turn up our nose at this stuff. But at the same time, like, it's also easy to get sucked in. Hmm. Everyone has their show that they watch. Everyone will be like, ah, oh, reality TV, it's terrible. And then you're like, what's your what's your one? And they're like, well, the circle's great, but that's because it's a psychological experiment or something. But it's, not, it's still just fucking reality TV. Does Jackass count? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. So then Jackass. So you could argue that reality TV has been around since TV. Uh, The nightly news features video of events that are happening in real time, as well as off-the-cuff interviews with bystanders. That's all real. So what makes reality TV different from the news or traditional game shows? You know, why isn't a documentary considered reality TV? How about those America's Home videos? Just a, a weekly hour of guys taking shots to the nuts. 
That is harsh reality. <laughs> it's a harsh reality TV. It's reality check television. Yeah, it's that's painful reality. Nut check television. Oh, I'm pretty sure that's a TV show. So I had some extra time lately due to uh, fiance's quarantine. Mm. She had a breakthrough case. We were both vaccinated and she still caught it. She's fine. I am fine. I don't have it, but fucking get vaccinated. Anyway. Yes. I had enough time to read a super informative book by Pete Tartaglia called Creating Reality, an insider's guide to working in reality TV. Hmm. Tartaglia is a successful reality TV producer, and he breaks down the difference between reality TV and documentaries super succinctly. Hmm. So documentaries are supposed to be about observing and reporting. Okay. You're not trying to create a situation and then like record the reaction to it. You're trying to capture the reactions and interactions that took place in response to a situation that you did not create. Right. On the other hand, quote, reality TV is all about control. Reality TV is real people in setup or predetermined circumstances that often generate real reactions and real emotions. Reality TV lies somewhere between documentary and scripted TV. It's neither one nor the other. It's the weird looking cousin of both. <laughs> I love that you took the time out to just sort of look shame somebody. You're, everyone's got a weird looking cousin. And what's really interesting about the book is how honest the author is about the fact that reality TV is completely contrived. And yet even he finds himself frequently surprised at the result. Hmm. Creating a circumstance doesn't always work out the way you want it to. Right. Or at least there is still an element of reality TV that is real because you can't account for the human element. I just remembered one that I was totally addicted to back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, remember Real World when they were all in the fucking Winnebago? Road rules. Rat road rules. That's one. Yeah. yeah, and they were traveling around and like uh, they remember when they stole a bunch of shit from like Van Halen concert. <laughs> they stole like a bunch of merch and they almost got arrested. It was I great. That sounds very road rules. Yeah. So that was the shit that I watched. It's the contrived situation that goes completely off the fucking rails because people are humans. Yeah. Yeah. Put people in situations where they have the opportunity to be shitty. Yeah. And then watch what happens. It's great. It's somewhat predictable. Mm. They're going to be shitty. <laughs> Still fun. Yeah. Quote, after years in the reality TV business, no matter how many shows I work on and how many subjects I deal with, just when I'm 100% confident that I know exactly what someone's reaction is going to be in a situation, they take a left turn and surprise me. People are incredibly unpredictable, and no matter how much you, quote, script the situation around them, you can never truly be sure of their response. That's the beauty of the genre and why it can be so addicting to watch. You don't know what's going to happen next. For instance, he says, quote, we can't make someone cry all we can do is put them in a situation that might elicit that response. He said, rubbing his hooves together. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, he seems really put out by the challenge of making people sad. Seriously, he's like, do you have any idea how many times I slapped a kid in the face and then ran <laughs> off camera? Human resilience, super inconvenient for the reality TV agenda. <laughs> like you, wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how hard it is to get people to break down in the name of entertainment. <laughs> Come on, people. We're trying to sell soda pop here. Right. Suffer. Yeah. Could you, could you just a little shaking and crying? I just want a little snot. That's all I want. So how did reality TV take over the world? Why does every network seem to be scrambling to create the next survivor or big brother? Mm. One word. Mm? Avocados. No, it's money. Yeah, okay. Good. Money is the <laughs> word. So he explains that a scripted TV show can cost $3 million for one hour. Reality TV can be as low as $300,000. Hmm. If a scripted show is successful, the actors are going to negotiate every year for higher wages. It's like, remember when Friends, those guys were like, we're not coming back unless you pay us a million dollars an episode, etc. Right. However, on most reality shows, you just jettison the previous cast and start fresh, sometimes every episode. 
other than maybe the host, reality TV participants are not unionized. Mm. And you're probably familiar with SAG-AFTRA, the union that was created in 2012 when the Screen Actors Guild merged with the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. I've heard of SAG. I have not heard of AFTRA, but yeah, okay. Well, ever since 2012, they're part of the same thing. Mm. So if you're a network hiring actors, you need to pay them enough to cover the union dues, plus healthcare costs, retirement, etc. It is expensive to put on a scripted TV show. Yeah. And then there are other residuals. Uh, actors on popular TV shows get a cut of the revenue every time one of their shows airs, even in reruns. Mm. On the other hand, if you're a contestant or participant on a reality TV show, and that TV show airs 1,000 times a year, you don't see a penny more than you made for the first episode if you were even paid at all. Right. And here's the real kicker. Networks get to own the shows, and they keep most of the revenue. See, a scripted television show is usually created by a production company, and those companies incur most of the cost of creating the show, and then they shop it around to the networks. Right. So if a network picks it up, the production company still retains the rights, and they can negotiate deals to adapt the show to other countries. They can make a ton of money off of syndicated reruns, etc. Hmm. Of course, that's assuming the show is popular. Most shows bomb, and the production company eats the cost. Right. Yeah. Other comedians I've heard on, on other podcasts talk about how most shows don't make it past a pilot. And they remember doing like, you know, 19 pilots in a year, getting paid like, you know, $12,000 to do this one pilot. And it never went anywhere. It's a gamble, right? It's like investing in startups companies, basically. Right. Most of the time you're throwing your money into like a pets.com. But every once in a while you invest in a grinder and it blows up. Mm -hmm. I'm going to invest in a grinder for pets. That's what I'm... <laughs> That's what I'm waiting for. There are a lot of gay hamsters out there that not being serviced. Flu fluffer. There you go. <laughs> Flufluffer.com. <laughs> I want half. <laughs> so when it comes to scripted television, the networks have a problem. Hmm. They're not taking the risk. Most of the risk is shouldered by the production companies. But if the show is a hit, the bulk of the profit is also going to those production companies. Hmm. Reality TV, on the other hand, is a different equation. Networks buy reality TV shows outright. And after the season has concluded, they can air those episodes over and over again without incurring more costs. Hmm. They don't have to pay residuals to actors. They don't have to pay a production company. The reality TV model is a massive upgrade for the networks. They're basically cutting out the production company middleman. Wow. I mean, that sounds amazing for people who already have bajillions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's... I can't find the upside here. I'm not like, yeah! I'm like, oh. I'm just explaining why this is uh, so attractive to networks. Yes. I'm not saying it's a good thing. Y or, did you're you... dreaming of becoming a corporate chill. Just say it. <laughs> you're like, hire me! <laughs> oh, I am available as a corporate chill, <laughs> in case anyone's wondering. But so far, no one's taken me up on it. That I'm not like on the network side i'm just saying this is why it makes sense for them got it got it. this is just rich people feuding and i find it interesting to watch but i have no dog in this fight right it's sort of hutu tootsie like you know fighting you're just like okay yeah it's These are just fighting. like ethnic cleansing <laughs> it's exactly like a genocide I can dream. <laughs> jesus <laughs> oh lord I am a bad person. I've said this. Save your emails. So also, because reality TV doesn't officially have writers, it is a great option for keeping the money rolling in during the occasional writer's strike. Hmm. The Writers Guild strike of 1988 prompted Fox to create the long-running reality-esque series Cops, and the strike in the fall of 2007 would similarly boost network appetite for so-called unscripted shows. Hmm. Hmm. Speaking of which, let's talk about the history of reality TV. Okay. 
The show that is typically cited as the direct precursor to modern reality television was 1974's American Family, which chronicled the mostly unremarkable lives of members of the Loud family. Were they really named L-O-W? I can't spell for fucking my life. Don't stop. Don't say it. <laughs> L-O-U-D. They were. Shit. Loud should be the honorary name of every reality TV family. Or every American yeah, reality TV family. Yeah. Yeah. The the Osbournes, they were they should have been the Loud family. <laughs> they should have been the fucking Echoes. Jesus. See, that was another one I watched. I watched the Osbournes because I was into Ozzy and I just wanted to see like what is the king of darkness doing on reality TV and what does he do on a daily basis? And it turns out he just gets yelled at and had no urge to ever watch that show. I was like, oh, I've heard him talk. He sounds like some of the old people I know back on the island. Yeah, just fuck a it. mansion full of dog shit and dysfunction. Yeah. That show made me feel so much better about not being rich. <laughs> Doesn't matter how wealthy you are, you can be white trash in a mansion. Oh, yeah. Or a double wide. Mm. You can't take the white trash out of the, I don't know, British people. <laughs> they were, <laughs> wow. They weren't, because they weren't hicks. Right. They, I can't say hicks. They were limey hillbillies. Yeah. 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 Is limey, is that like really bad? Does, I don't know. No. Okay. Totally fine. So the first episode of American Family began by showcasing the last day of filming. It started at the end, providing a tantalizing taste of what was to come. Hmm. The first scene features members of the Loud family celebrating New Year's Eve 1971, and viewers quickly realized that there was trouble in paradise. Hmm. Because there were two New Year's celebrations. Mrs. Loud was celebrating at home with the children, and Mr. Loud was celebrating with another woman. That not good. Dramatic chipmunk. Giving viewers a tiny taste of the drama to come is now standard operating procedure for modern unscripted television, and it provided an irresistible hook to the audience. Hmm. The show would, at points, score upwards of 10 million viewers for a single episode. Jeebus, when was this? This was 1973 when it was actually aired. Uh, to put that in perspective, many of the most popular shows today are lucky if 1 million people tune in when they're aired. I was going to say, well, I mean, they, but they've also got, like, computers and shit now. But still, that's impressive. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, a lot of shows now are streamed at a later date, and there is just so much more content to choose from. That's the big thing is that, you know, back then there were three networks. Right. And now it's at least four or five. <laughs> I'm just watching you struggle for a number. You're like, what sounds reasonable? I don't know. Fucking, like, I don't know. Ballpark. I don't, it's like thousands. Yeah. There's a ton of networks. Yeah. Oprah has a network. Every fifth dude has a network. I don't know how I don't have a network yet. Yeah. I mean, we got a podcast. We're on our way. So the eldest son of the Loud family, Lance, was the first openly gay person on television. That's cool, but I need to stop. Lance Loud? It's yeah, kind good. of amazing. He went into porn, didn't he? Just say it. It's fine. <laughs> it does I sound... Don't, we don't kink shame. Uh, you're going to not feel as great about making that joke in a minute. No, motherfucker. But uh, Lance Loud is an amazing name. It is. I love it. Oh, my God. The show was filmed in 1971 over the course of seven months, and it aired in 1973, as I mentioned. To provide some context, 1973 was the year that homosexuality was finally removed from the American Psychiatric Association's DSM list of mental illnesses. Yeah, DSM-3, was it, or 4? It was 3. One of those? Yeah. So we're talking about a time when being gay was literally only months removed from being considered a symptom of insanity and was still considered deviant behavior and completely unacceptable to most of America. Right. Now, it is tough to definitively shoehorn American Family into a genre because it straddles the line between documentary and reality TV. Compared to modern reality TV, most of it was straight up boring. The series aired on PBS, and it's exactly what you would expect from the public broadcasting version of reality TV. So, actual reality, 
like people just sitting around a kitchen and then you know, occasionally someone says, <clears throat> so how's, how's it going? Yeah, 90% of it was pedestrian and very uninspiring. Hmm. For this episode, I listened to a really great podcast called Spectacle, an unscripted history of reality TV. And the host described scenes of Mr. Loud literally just reading the mail for minutes at a time. Can you imagine watching Kim Kardashian just like reading the mail? I can't imagine watching Kim Kardashian for any reason. I'd be shocked if they were reading at all. That that would be... <laughs> She's mentally deficient. It's clear. I mean, she married Kanye, so she's you know, mentally just... deficient all the way to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, unlike modern reality TV, the plot lines were not contrived. There were no producers actively steering the action, hmm. which is why it's pretty amazing that the film crew was able to capture watershed moments like Mrs. Loud asking for a divorce. But of course, it's hard to say whether the camera crew was lucky or whether the constant scrutiny, like the ever-present cameras and production crew, contributed to all of the drama that unfolded. Yeah, that sounds really interesting, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, I would just definitely edit out all of the mail reading and, and sitting around a kitchen table yeah, no, like, it's, scraping on the plates. It's hard to watch today. Reality TV is not reality, and that's what we're going to be talking about on this. Like, no one wants to watch reality TV. Right. That's horrible. The Truman Show is boring as shit. No one wants to see that. Mm. You know, it's it's only interesting once he finds out he's on TV. Right. So some listeners may wonder why I'm leaving out the 7-Up series. Have you seen that show at all? Never even heard of it. It was uh, British. I'm surprised you don't know. It was a very famous British show. Uh, in my mind, it was firmly a true docu-series, not reality television. It doesn't follow the day-to-day -day life of a single family. It's not focused on the dramas of an individual. It is an interview series which checks in with the participants every seven years. It's like really almost a anthropological experiment. Yeah, I was going to say, this sounds like more of a, a, like a long-term case study. It was like yeah. a long-term case study. And so they took a bunch of kids from different socioeconomic backgrounds, mm -hmm. and they followed them every seven years. So there was 7-Up, which is when they were all seven in like 1963. And then there was 14-Up and 21-Up and 28. And I think now they're on 63-Up. Jesus. So some of them have died. One guy was like homeless. Some of them have done really well. It's just been really amazing to watch. And it's been a phenomenon in Britain. People have followed the lives of these people. But, you know, they weren't following them every day. It wasn't a reality TV show where it was like, what hijinks is Jim going to get up to now? Right. And that's really, really cool. What's funny to me, though, is because I have one of the darker sense of humor of people you know, I'm just like, and the people who died, they just, when they're sort of scrolling through, they're doing the like interview clips, so you get like two minutes with this person, two minutes with this one. Do they just cut to like two minutes of the gravestone? <laughs> and crickets. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> oh, Lord. Back to Jim. You're yeah. A... I'm a bad person. Why are we friends? Because <laughs> <laughs> you have to admit, it'd be pretty funny if there were like three 63-year-old oh. people, like one still homeless, a couple of them are in like, you know, medium to your jobs. One guy's like doing pretty well. He's an investment banker now. And then they just got to a gravestone for a minute and 30 seconds. Why not just go, you know, full rotten corpse? <laughs> just like a skeleton. Just pose him in a chair. <laughs> just... So the crew of American Family shot over 300 hours of footage. And just like reality TV editors of today, the crew was tasked with creating narratives out of the jumbled meanderings of unstructured family life. Hmm. And just as often happens with the popular reality shows of today, the Louds became full-on celebrities. Huh. Lance would eventually die of AIDS. Ouch. Lance's dying wish, this is true, was for his parents to reconcile, and they eventually did. Hmm. After the whirlwind of fame had died down, they would go on to live together for over a decade 
as an apparently platonic couple. I don't think they were fully back together, but they were like partners. It's kind of a sweet story. At the time, though, the show was very divisive. Many critics painted it as exploitive and sensationalist, which wait 50 years. (laughs) The networks were like, bitch, hold my beer. (laughs) Uh, PBS never re-aired it. And to this day, you can't stream it anywhere. I like to think that PBS realized what they had unleashed and tried to put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah. PBS is like, that. that's our bad. The original videos are like locked down in some vault with, you know, runes written on them. Right. <laughs> like Thermite too. charges wrapped around <laughs> them with pressure sensors and motion sensors. Yeah. yeah. You could argue that there were other milestones in the inexorable march to today's reality TV, like Candid Camera and Queen for a Day. Mm. But the next true precursor of what we think of as modern reality television began when seven strangers were picked to live in a house where they would work together and have their lives taped. And pretty soon they would stop being polite and start getting real. Real dumb. I'm speaking, of course, of number 28. Mm. What? <laughs> In 1991, a year before the real world premiered on MTV, a show called Number 28 debuted in Holland. Oh, okay. I'm saying number like that because it's N-U-M-M-E-R. Oh, they, they don't believe in bees in Holland? It just means number in Dutch. Ah. I love how so many Dutch words are the same as English words with like one letter removed. True story, Dutch is the language most linguistically similar to English. So the title, number 28, referred to the house number or address of the house where seven Dutch strangers agreed to live while having their lives filmed 24-7. Sound familiar? Yes. The creator of the show has always been salty because MTV never gave him credit. And yeah, it's pretty obvious where the idea came from. And you know what we Americans say to him? Yeah, we stole it from the <laughs> Japanese. That's a callback. It's a very surreal callback that no one's going to get. <laughs> You'll get it. If you're a true insomniac, you know what I'm saying. But while number 28 started it all, it wasn't until MTV took the reins that reality television infiltrated the zeitgeist of the American teenager and from there spread like COVID across the globe. Mm-hmm. Today, the teenagers, tomorrow, the bored housewives, and eventually, we'll all be watching people eat cockroaches on television. (laughs) It's all true. It's all true. The Real World New York was pitched to the participants as a documentary about artists living in New York City, which is a bit of a stretch. Yeah. First off, the producers immediately focused on one white girl from Alabama, 19-year-old Julie Gentry, who became the show's protagonist. You know how, like, the real world always includes bios of each participant before they get to the house? It kind of shows, like, a little preview. Right. It only did that for Julie. Oh, wow. I don't remember that, but I don't, yeah, I never watched the first real world. Yeah. Just the 19-year-old corn-fed white girl. Hmm. Shocker. Crisis! And it quickly became clear how much control the editors were going to have. One of the participants, Eric, was a male model. And one day, the cast woke up to find a modeling book in the living room that contained nude photos of Eric. Wow. The producers just dropped like a tiny little bomb in the middle of the apartment. Tiny little bomb? I don't know. A tiny little bomb to me would be like a swimsuit edition or something like that. Mm. A fully nude, quote unquote, artistic nude rendering. Yeah, it's is a, uh, dramatic. Yeah. It's a bit of a hand grenade. Good morning. Here's a penis. Yeah. <laughs> Not just any penis. That guy's penis. <laughs> See the guy sitting next to you? His penis looks like that when flaccid. <laughs> Enjoy your day. Yeah. Get that out of your head. Carry on. (laughs) 
<laughs> You've heard of earworm? As you were. That is an eyeworm. <laughs> yeah. The cast would get increasingly fed up with the contrived situations and pressure from the producers. Because you have to remember, that wasn't really a thing before this. They actually thought it was going to be a docuseries. Right. Eventually, a couple of the cast members, Norman and Julie, broke into the control room at night to try to turn down the lights, which were, I guess, extremely hot. And they found a storyboard listing all of the upcoming drama that the producers planned to create. Oh, dude, I wouldn't have said shit. I'd just known and told everyone under the fucking table and just... It's kind of what they did. They sort of started to passive-aggressively rebel and mm -hmm. just, like, refuse to take the bait. Uh, it became sort of a war between the producers and the cast. <laughs> One of the cast members was a black guy named Kevin, and of course the producers managed to do what they called throwing a pebble in the pond to create some ripples. They framed Kevin as the angry black man, and they sparked racial arguments between him and Julie. That became like a running theme. Hmm. This type of manipulation of participants laid the groundwork for reality shows to come. The idea is to cast people of different ethnic, religious, and socioeconomic backgrounds, put them in situations that emphasize those differences, and then let the sparks fly. Sometimes this can be a good thing. You just get people out of their comfort zones and put them in contact with diverse individuals that they otherwise might not meet. Right. But often it just reinforces stereotypes. Also, one of the cast members, Norman, was gay. And it is unclear as to whether or not the producers of the show actually knew that when they cast him. Mm -hmm. But what we do know is that they cut out any utterances of the word gay. <laughs> the only reference they allowed was another cast member mentioning that Norman was bisexual, which he wasn't. So reality TV was becoming an MTV staple in the late 90s with the real world and its spinoff series Road Rules. But the genre exploded in the year 2000 when Survivor debuted on CBS. Hmm. Survivor was based on yet another Dutch show. This one called Expedition Robinson, a reference to the Swiss family Robinson, the novel about a shipwrecked family that learns to survive on a remote island. Right. So let's just take a moment to stop and thank the Dutch for the hellish scourge that is reality TV. It was pretty much all their fault. God damn it. And for misspelling all of our words. Okay, I'm not, not going to come with you on that one. I will just say, Hotsverdoma. You people could do so much better. Survivor was a massive hit. Mm. Like, off the charts. It was appointment television. I watched none of it. Not a single episode, not ever. I haven't even watched the, you know, depixelated nudes one where they're like, all the women are naked. And I'm like, oh, I, I love that care. you know that exists. I, I know that exists. I'm not aware of it. Yeah. <laughs> didn't care. Midnight fact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know what's so appealing about watching people starve. It's just Americans love that shit. Hey, family, let's all gather around the television and observe some suffering. <laughs> it's the weekly stress and desperation hour. Yay! On CBS. Fuck. Let's talk about the types of reality TV. All right. Pete Tartaglia's book includes a solid breakdown of what he considers to be the different flavors of the genre. I'm going to list a slightly modified version that seems more accurate to the current landscape. Hmm. So first, we have competition slash elimination shows. So Survivor, The Voice, The Circle, Hell's Kitchen. So usually there's a host. There are always prizes at the end, either money or some type of exposure. Mm -hmm. uh, there are eliminations. They're basically like the dystopian version of game shows. Right. If The Running Man were real, it would be an elimination show. <laughs> that is one of the roughest, roughest Stephen King books. That, I mean, Stephen King novellas that no one's ever read, I don't think, or like very few people have read. Running Man is going to be a TV show at some point. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, Survivor's not that far off. Running Man was just Survivor with people trying to kill you. Right. 
Survivor is just nature trying to kill you. I'm pretty sure if any of the contestants had been like shark bitten or like, you know, chomped by a bear, they would have swooped in and taken them off the set. That's just now. Yeah. Okay. Give it five years. Okay. (laughs) Once again, I'm going to bank on my naivete and just go, that's not something we would do. I mean, look at like bare knuckle boxing and shit. Like, yeah, the MMA shit. Like, I'm I'm like, okay, we barely tolerate that. Here's my prediction. Mm -hmm. At some point, like pedophiles or, you know, any type of like child molester or child killer, Mm -hmm. I think we will have some type of show, Black Mirror like, where we hunt those people. And I will watch that show. Exactly. And, and giggle and point. eat popcorn. I won't. I mean, I don't think, I think it's a slippery slope is my problem, but I would not be surprised if that becomes a thing at some point. Here's looking at you, Fox. This seems right up your alley. Next, we have formatted shows. Unlike Survivor or The Voice, in which you follow the same contestants from week to week, a formatted show has a full narrative arc for each episode. Hmm. There is a beginning and an end, and then it all starts over next week. So like Fixer Upper, Flipper Flop, Dirty Jobs, Naked and Afraid, those shows have a certain structure that doesn't change, but each episode involves a change of participants and usually location. Okay. Finally, you have docu-style shows. So now we're at The Real World, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Jersey Shore, Real Housewives of wherever. Where would Cops fall? Cops is more of a Mm docu-series. The people riding along with Cops were not creating these crimes. That's true. That's true. (laughs) I hope. Yeah, I was going to say, although I wouldn't put it totally past it. Yeah, we, you know, maybe we just don't know. Mm. So these shows have multiple ongoing story narratives. There's always a primary, like, A narrative, and then there's B and C subplots. Right. So Kim and Kylie are feuding, and Kanye is charging $500 for shoes that look like a coral reef. (laughs) Look like an aquatic snail shell. Yeah. Want to wear the Bay of Pigs on your feet? Sure don't. (laughs) <laughs> I will never get past the Yeezys. I'm not gonna. I'm never gonna drop it. No, it's... just fuck Kanye West for need... so many reasons. But those shoes are just—they encapsulate everything. They're like the least bad thing about Kanye West, too. Yeah, <laughs> there's so many worse things. But I just hate those shoes because they're a stand-in for everything that's terrible about Kanye West. I loved a couple of his songs, but I will still cringe because I'm like, I'm yeah. somehow supporting this fucking undiagnosed bipolar whack So many of these docu-style shows are what they call soft-scripted. Hmm. Quote, a soft-scripted show is one that has a storyline mapped out already, complete with conflict, a beginning, a middle, and an end. It is important to know that some of these soft-scripted shows don't want you to know that they're soft-scripted, so they're produced and shot in a way that keeps the illusion alive to make you believe that it is, in fact, real. Hmm. Duck Dynasty was an example. You remember those bearded hicks? I've only ever heard them described by Bill Burr, so sure. It was like a sitcom that was shot in these people's actual houses. It was just all scripted. Really? Yeah. Huh. Because this is one of Bill Burr's bits where, like, the old guy said something massively homophobic. Was that scripted? He said that off camera in an interview. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was also mortified to learn that Catfish, which is another show that I had watched quite a bit, is fake AF. The producers actually correspond with the catfish first. So from the get-go, there's no mystery as to whether the catfish will be unmasked. It is just an absolute farce. I am so twink, twink, twink right now. Like, I'm just blinking at you. You don't know what catfish the TV show is? No. Do you know what catfishing is online? I I get the reference now. Misrepresentation. Yes. Yes, I got that. Wow, you've never seen catfish? Not once. Huh. I was sucked in. I really enjoy that show. Mm. Less now, now that I know it's fake. No, okay. Yeah. So let's talk some criticism and controversy when oh, it comes goody. to reality TV. 
Not that that isn't what we've been doing the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean now we're talking about it? It has been claimed that reality shows can be viewed as anthropology experiments. For instance, Big Brother has been described as, quote, a mass media experiment in watching people deprived of the mass media. Hmm. Of course, the real problem with trying to pretend that reality TV is some noble science experiment is that it's very easy to debunk. Mm. Because when you watch a reality show, you're not actually seeing how people would react to those scenarios in real life. You're seeing how they react to a situation when they know they're being filmed. Right. They are performing to the camera. And to be fair, this is a major problem in many psychology experiments. We've talked about this before. Right. I mean, it has to be double blind. Not even the people giving out the pills can know what's going on. All this stuff. But even if you account for all that, just the act of being observed can change the equation. Right. Like, you know that there is someone who is looking at you and thus you are going to behave differently because you're trying to either give them what they want or defy their expectations. Right. Reality TV only illustrates how people react to being on reality TV. You can't extrapolate from that to anything else. Nope. Which is still interesting. You know, put people under stress, mash together incompatible personalities and see how they interact, create drama and push people to the breaking point. Good times. <laughs> it's just fun. Once again, can't really go with you on that one, but sure. OK, it's fun for the whole family. Uh. And hey, maybe reality TV will someday prove useful in a scientific context. It could happen. If you can survive being locked in a house with a bunch of drama queens for weeks at a time, like on Big Brother, maybe you'd be particularly adapted to a voyage to Mars. I guess. And I would like to send you there regardless. Yeah, I would just say, irrespective <laughs> of your performance, by all means, get into this paper mache rocket I have made. <laughs> the other problem with reality shows is that they exert an incredible amount of power over the participants. Yeah. There are ironclad confidentiality agreements. You basically sign your life away when you sign up for a reality show. If you want to sue the producers for making you look like a villain or an idiot, good luck. Yeah, good luck with that, genius. And make you look like an idiot, they will. Mm. The practice of Franken-editing is ubiquitous. Editors have freedom to do whatever they want in order to craft a compelling storyline. I think that's why I kind of stopped watching that and I just stopped caring about the people on it. But after Road Rules, whatever the fuck that was one with the Van Halen bit, I stopped watching um, because I could no longer believe what I was seeing. I honestly felt like I was like, uh, is they, are these people actually this wackalooned or are like the producers off camera kind of be like, come on guys, grab those shirts and run. Like it, I, I couldn't, I couldn't really get into it anymore. And even if the editors weren't specifically directing the action, they're picking and choosing what they're going to use. Right. The real world, for instance, was shot over a three month period, which adds up to about 2,160 hours of footage mm. for 13 half-hour episodes. So out of that 2,160 hours of footage, they ended up using six and a half hours. So the editors are picking and choosing only the moments that fit whatever narrative they want to create. Right. If producers and editors want to make you look like a psychopath, they're going to make you look like a psychopath. They will use reactions or expressions from days before and splice them into completely different conversations. Yeah, unless your name is Puck, in which case, no, you were just born in human. <laughs> that guy was just a piece of shit. Yeah, <laughs> they just genuinely found like a sociopathic asshat. Yeah, I'm not saying there aren't actual villains on reality TV, but they're going to make them look even worse. If you're already a villain, they're going to go with it and right. they're going to push you to be even more villainous. Right. And portray you as being as villainous as possible. 
They can even completely distort the significance of a scene. So famously in Joe Millionaire, when a contestant named Sarah Kozer snuck off with Evan Marriott, the fake rich guy that she was supposed to be uh, wanting to date, mm. they snuck off into the woods, evading the cameras. The entire production crew had a meltdown. They were like super pissed off. Evan himself described the situation on a podcast that I listened to. Uh, as a result of their disobedience, some pissed off editors made it seem as though the couple were hooking up in the woods and that they had forgotten to remove their microphones. So the production crew filmed footage of the empty woods and spliced in audio from Sarah receiving a back massage from the day before and then used captions to deceive the audience regarding the source of the noises that they were hearing. So at one point across the bottom of the screen appears the word mmm, M-M-M, and then slurp. Again, that's where I, I have that that itchy feeling between my shoulder blades, like someone's going to put a knife there. It's just like, ah, this is too much power. Yeah, it is. But you signed up for it again. Like, read the fine print. This is famously we all do this when we just agree to the iTunes terms and conditions or whatever. Right. But like, if you're signing your life away to go fly to a desert island or something, read the fucking fine print. Right. Yeah. If I'm signing up for a show, I better know they can't actually make me look like a neo-Nazi. Yeah. And regarding facial expressions, uh, Evan Marriott, who, by the way, comes across as a pretty decent guy while being interviewed by an absolute douche nozzle on this show. Mm -hmm. He explains this. So the whole point of the reality TV show was that he was pretending to be a millionaire. And when he finally confessed to one of the girls that he wasn't rich, she just smiled and shrugged it off. She'd probably figured it out at that point. Right. But that wasn't good enough for the producers, and they had a backup plan. What they had done was they had asked her to show up for the scene three hours early, and they filmed her the entire time as she was getting progressively more annoyed. And after he confessed, they used facial expressions from that previous three hours of pointless waiting when she'd been upset, rather than her actual response. Wow. Although good planning on their side. I know it's kind of diabolical, but you sort of have to respect it. Yeah, I mean, okay. Producers also use liquor to lower inhibitions and raise tensions. Oh, shit. They were doing that on talk shows. I know that. If you want people to fuck or fight, mm -hmm. shots, 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 shots. There have been multiple allegations of sexual assault related to reality shows, including a 2011 out-of-court settlement paid by the producers of the Real World Road Rules Challenge, Similarly, there were allegations during the real world San Diego, with charges also leveled against camera crews and production teams for allowing the assaults to take place and even continuing to film. Most recently in 2017, the Bachelor in Paradise production was shut down when members of the crew acted as whistleblowers. Uh, one crew member described the situation, quote, Corrine and DeMario found out when they arrived in Mexico that the storyline would involve the two of them hooking up, so they decided to hang out and get better acquainted over drinks. Soon they decided to go swimming, and when they climbed into the jacuzzi, both were loaded. Corrine proceeded to remove her bathing suit, and things got increasingly sexual. There was hugging and kissing and touching, but before long, she seemed to go limp and was sliding under the water. DeMario kept trying to hold her up, and at the same time, he appeared to be having intercourse with her. After he finished, which only lasted a few seconds, I like that they threw a little dig in there, he lifted her out of the water and laid her on the cement, where he proceeded to have oral sex with her. She appeared to be unconscious. At that point, some of the crew came and carried her off to her room. She was limp and seemed unable to walk on her own. Wow. It should be pointed out that none of these cases resulted in convictions. Yeah, which is also super awesome. Although out-of-court settlement, kind of the same. It's just like we, they paid them off. Right. I mean, but it's not the same because there's a difference between out-of-court settlement, which you would probably have to look up, and public fucking record. 
and punishment. I yeah. mean, you know, yeah. they can afford this. They're raking in the money. So it's just a slap on the wrist. No one actually got punished. No one went to jail. No one was even reprimanded. Right. There's this part of me like, how are you that crew member who has to go interrupt a date rapist performing oral sex on a clearly unconscious person and be like, dude, she, she's done. Yeah, she, she's not moving. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> I would want to go check her pulse. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, is he? Is he going down on a dead chick? <laughs> alcohol poisoning is the thing. Yeah. Get in there and check it out, man. And alcohol poisoning plus extreme heat. Like, it says it on the side of a fucking hot tub. I know it's supposed to be, quote, reality, but you can say cut. Yeah. Like, just go in there and take a look and then be like, oh, no, okay, you're, you're okay? You're into this? Okay, cool. Carry on. Yeah. One hard edit later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry I ruined the orgasm, but we didn't want you dead. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure she'd understand. And I'm pretty sure the orgasm was going to be as fake as that TV show anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Product placement on reality TV is also out of control. Mm -hmm. This is a hard right turn that we took here. <laughs> Still crafting this a year and a half later. <laughs> and that's because the audience is receptive or at least tolerant to product placement. If you are watching a show that is already shamelessly exploitive, if people are spearing rats and swallowing donkey semen, you're not going to turn it off because they're conspicuously drinking Fanta or whatever. <laughs> right. My favorites are the random shoehorned promos. Mm. my fiance watches hell's kitchen as i have mentioned and it takes place in las vegas so they try to cram like random ass vegas acts into the show what like haunts and fronts or who the fuck are the, the person who got mauled and then eventually yeah like that like really? the tiger guys like in the middle of the dining room there will be jugglers and magic acts just for no reason <laughs> that's like a bad acid trip it is <laughs> like fucking angel or whatever the fuck that asshole's name is just suddenly making your turkey you worked all night on probably disappear. had chris angel there i'm sure oh god it's they've had everybody they had pin and teller like doing a trick where they like pretended to pull out one of their eyeballs and then they cooked a chicken <laughs> some crazy worlds <laughs> dumbest fucking thing i'm not sure <laughs> A 2011 study determined that 9 out of 10 TV shows with the most product placement were reality TV. Hmm. Not surprising. No. Yet another issue is the stigma that can follow contestants who implode in front of a national audience. Right. The humiliation factor. Reality TV is sometimes derisively referred to as shame TV. Hmm. The lure of a national audience can bring out the weirdos like moths to a flame. Yeah. Sometimes the results can be amusing and seemingly harmless, like William Hung. Do you remember William Hung? No. He's an Asian guy. He went on the show. He was fantastically horrible. Hmm. And he parlayed that into a surprisingly durable career as a national punchline. But it's also a little bit sad. I listened to a podcast interview with him, and he is definitely not mentally impaired, but he's so painfully socially inept that it isn't clear whether he's in on the joke. Gotcha. He seems to believe that he's famous because America admired his courage for getting up there. Like, he just refuses to acknowledge to the interviewer and maybe to himself that the laughter wasn't with him, that it was at him. And it was. Mm. Yeah, almost sort of like a virulent uh, optimism. Delusional optimism. Yeah. 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 And some of these situations are really sketchy. You take people who may be disturbed or on the edge... You get them liquored up and put them on display in front of the world. And when they do something stupid, when they play into the narrative that has been created for them, that footage lasts forever. They're never going to escape that. Right. There have been at least 38 notable suicides among reality show contestants, including competitors from The Bachelor, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, The Voice. The list goes on. Hmm. At one point, three of the contestants from Love Island out of 100 had committed suicide. What, on the show? No. Okay. 
As of 2020, quote, the UK media regulator Ofcom announced a new set of rules to protect those who appear on TV, guaranteeing care and support to all contestants and limiting the extent to which their distress and anxiety can be engineered by producers and directors. So the UK is starting to crack down. Well, thank Jeebus, somebody is, yeah, because going through this, it's it's getting harder and harder to laugh because yeah. it's just like, Jesus, I get the whole like buyer beware thing, and yet... And I think part of the problem is that we often have trouble viewing contestants as victims. As we've mentioned, they signed up for this. Right. You know, maybe they're somewhat to blame for their own predicament, but we do create the culture that drives people to seek celebrity at all costs. Yeah. Notoriety is preferable to obscurity these days. Right. Jody and I watched uh, Love at First Sight. It is a trashy reality show on Netflix where people can't see each other and they date and then they have to decide whether they're going to actually get married. Mm -hmm. And there was one woman on the show that we and America loved to hate. Her name was Jessica and she was horrid. Just the screechiest voice. As I recently said on the Discord, she had a punchable voice. Wow. She was a conniving B word. Okay. And at one point during filming, she casually dipped her glass of wine down so that her dog could lap from her wine glass uh, and then drank out of the glass. So much wrong. I love the floof, but I would never feed her A, wine, or B, drink out of the same cup. Yeah, there's two strikes. No. Like, don't give dogs wine. And also, like, what the fuck? <laughs> I love dogs, but they're fucking gross. Yeah. That glass is now 70% golden retriever juice. Dude, that cup is now at least 70% your dog's ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not saying it would be better if it was a cat. I'm just saying. Animal, your mouth, not a good mix. And speaking of alcohol, so she was always drunk, mm. right? Like, they just kept her liquored up the whole show. She said, quote, it's tough watching it back. It was obvious I was working through some things. I didn't like the person I saw. I was really uncomfortable and I was drinking too much. She mentioned the toll taken by social media, people telling her to kill herself afterwards. Mm -hmm. And she ended up seeking therapy. Wifeness also loves watching, like, you know, My 600 Pound Life or whatever the hell that show's oh, called. Yeah. And, and like, I always wondered about the show Hoarders. Yeah. Like, to me, there's supposed to be this intervention side of it, and it's supposed to be very uplifting. Uh, is it, though? I feel as though there might be, like, are they driving them to and from the doctor's office? Past the McDonald's or 90? Feels like mental illness porn. It's like we're just watching to feel better about ourselves and also judging those people. And on some of these shows, they're not even acknowledging that the person has a problem. Like right. this woman who clearly was an alcoholic and had some major issues. And they're just feeding into it so that we continue to judge that person. Yeah. So once again, this comes back to my... I am hyper naive in lots of ways, but I also caught on pretty quick that reality television is the devil and I didn't get into it. Duncan ends with some virtue signaling. Firm, <laughs> justified virtue signaling. Okay. Lifts his nose to the sky. Well, I will readily admit that I love me some reality television, even some trashy reality television. And yes, it's absolutely going to destroy the world. But, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm riding the rocket. I am the guy in Doctor Strange love riding the rocket the down to Earth. The nuclear bomb, right. <laughs> it is, we're all on this crazy journey together and we all suck and i'm part of the problem yeah. that's okay at, at, at worst i'm i'm the guy driving the bomber <laughs> i'll let you off in the next stop homie not being a fan of icebergs isn't going to save you on the titanic <laughs> going down with the rest of us my friend i love icebergs <laughs> even right there communist icebergs oh my god this episode holy fucking shits thank you for this elucidating if not nauseating <laughs> 
episode, Shane. I really appreciate it. Wendigo. No. Jody. So you guys are doing a great job. We really appreciate all the support. We are now a year and eight months. No, almost nine months into this bish. Like it's great. And we love it. And we, we're going to keep doing it. Even when it gets hard. Even when the queen gets COVID and we have to like, oh shit, are we going to lose an episode? We're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep rocking it out. And we'll see on the other side. So as per usual and forever after. Knowledge is power. Sleep is overrated.